Hey everyone, this is Jeff Stevens and this is the Creative Stick Up. Today on the cast, we have a very special guest. I have got Michael Weiss, who is the VP of Marketing at Creative Circle, and they also happen to be our sponsor. So when we were talking about Creative Circle coming on to sponsor this series of podcasts, I started talking to Michael, checking out his background, and it turns out he was a player in the creative space. Uh, He's a musician. He's played guitar his entire career, been in lots of bands. He does TED Talks. He's an author. He owned his own digital agency for 14 years. Uh, He was a consultant and just had this really interesting, diverse background and found himself as the VP of marketing of this kind of talent agency um, and how he's gone about modernizing it and with the gig economy, just how Creative Circle and Michael have approached maximizing finding agencies and people who in need of creative with the best talent. So I wanted to talk to him about that. I know a lot of people out there are freelancers and will be interested in this. Um, Jen and I had a great talk. He was a terrific guest, has a lot of terrific stories. So please enjoy our conversation with Michael Weiss. So it's it's a, a pleasure to have you on, Michael Weiss. I wanted to introduce you real fast, and if I miss anything, let us know. But you are the vice president of marketing for Creative Circle, and that's one of the reasons why we had you on. But then when we started doing our research, which we do, you come from this massively eclectic background yeah, uh, from, from being a, a freelance creative yourself or a freelance consultant, which I think is where you recently came from, author, speaker, teacher, musician, business owner, personal assistant to Tom and Roseanne Barr, which is incredibly crazy. Done a bunch of TED Talks. Uh, so welcome to the show, because we've got a real creative talent on anyway. So how are you? I'm good. Thank you. Uh, thank you for having me here. And yes, I, 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 I always forget that the Roseanne thing is, is out there. Yeah, so. it's... <laughs> I have plenty of stories to tell. If you want any, I'll happily do it. And the one thing that's not on there is that... Um, I did uh, in college. I trained monkeys uh, to aid quadriplegics, so oh there's gosh. stories there as well. Wow, Michael, I want to be you yeah. when I grow up, except for the the Roseanne Barr thing. <laughs> you couldn't everything have... but that. I'll take everything but that. <laughs> I bet you could do a whole podcast on being the PA to Roseanne and Tom. Yes, and I. It's funny because when I was there, I had to sign like a forty page contract saying I would never say say anything about it. And then she and I found each other on Twitter a couple of years ago. And she says, ah, oh, that's past. You can tell anything you want. Oh, good. Wow. Good, good, good. Right, we'll have to get yeah. to that. Uh, okay. uh, but I have this, I, th- I think as someone with this incredibly eclectic creative background, how did you end up at Creative Circle or what drew you to Creative Circle as a company? Uh, because it seems like a, an interesting choice of where you're going to work. And I'm sure they're thrilled to have you. Thank you. I appreciate that. It's an interesting, it's kind of an interesting story in that after I um, left my agency, which was in 2011, uh, having run that for 14 years, I went to consult, as you had said. Mm-hmm. And I was consulting on a whole bunch of different things, mostly content marketing and content strategy. And uh, the CMO of um, Creative Circle, Adam Bleibtroy, is a friend of mine. I've known him for 15 plus years. Mm-hmm. And he said, hey, come over here, help us out. We've got some new things going on here. And so I started to consult with the company. Mm-hmm. 
and started to learn about staffing. I mean, believe me, did I ever think that I'd be working at a staffing company? No, because um, I never really, but I never really understood it, and I never understood how to differentiate creative staffing and a company like Creative Circle from like you know a temp agency. I sort of lumped them all into one, and then when I started to get in here and learn how this company works and what this company actually does, it really started to get, for lack of a better word, sexier. And there was something really interesting here and a very interesting story to tell. And so it just sort of morphed into the um, opportunity to come on because once we got purchased by on assignment a year and a half ago, Adam became the CMO of everything, of all, of all, um, all the companies at OA, and they needed someone to come in and help manage the department. And, and uh, luckily for me, he asked me to do it, and I came aboard. So that's sort of how it came to be. So, Michael, tell us the difference, because I don't think that most people know the difference between a, a company like Creative Circle and a, a temp agency. You know, it's when people think staffing, um, it's kind of a yucky word, and it, and, it, and it has this connotation of, well, we'll just put a butt in a seat. Right. Mm-hmm. Oh, you need, you know, this. Okay. We'll get you somebody. And there's not a lot of thought that goes into it. Um, and, and a lot of times it's, you know, we need someone for a call center. We need someone as a receptionist. We need someone as a gopher, you know, or someone to go, you know, run errands and stuff like that. And it's, there's not a lot of thought put into it. It's like, we got resumes, we got people, we'll place them. Creative Circle is a partnership with the client and the account exec, basically. And it's really consultative in that many clients will say, I think I need a graphic designer. And then after conversations and working with them, it's like, no, that's not what you needed. You actually needed someone to handle UX or you needed someone to to actually be a presentation specialist for you. So the difference here is it's consultative. It's working together in partnership to find the right fit. And then we've got, you know, hundreds of thousands of candidates that we can pull from. So it's just, and so then the recruiter kind of then gets involved and starts to, you know, cast that role. So there's a lot more than, hey, I need somebody. Can you send someone over by 8 a.m. tomorrow morning? That does happen. I'm not saying that doesn't happen. We have quick starts all the time. Mm-hmm. But it's really a partnership and it's learning together. Do you, do you liken it more to a talent agency than a staffing firm? It's a great question. And I think it, it uh, on the outside, yeah, I would say it looks like that. We represent great talent. We represent strong creative that everybody is vetted. Every portfolio is poured through. Every person before we even submit them is interviewed. Um, and so we represent great talent that, that comes to us and was like, oh, you're, you know, you're a wonderful graphic designer in St. Louis, and we've got clients that need you. So, yeah, I mean, I guess there is sort of a talent agency feel to it, but it's not – you know, it's not like we're representing, you know, Brad Pitt and Robert Redford and people like that. <laughs> Yet, maybe Brad will strike out yeah. and have to become yeah. a graphic designer. <laughs> so, Michael, when you're, and I know you're on the marketing side, right? You're not necessarily sourcing that talent. You're you're promoting the the agency and and their talent. Um, but do you have um, do you have a a perspective on the types of talent that are that is coming your way, um, and how that aligns with what clients need? Yeah. I mean, you know, again, we've got, um, just, just so everybody's clear, we're, we're pretty large. We just opened our 29th office in Kansas city. So we've got 29 offices across North America. And we say that because we're in Toronto and do very well up in Toronto. Um, and we've got 
hundreds of thousands of candidates and thousands of jobs. And the types of people range literally anywhere from kids right out of, right out of school, you know, creatives who, are, who got a degree in graphic design, um, all the way to executive creative directors. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, as the quote-unquote gig economy continues mm-hmm. to grow, there are more and more people who are looking for this kind of work. So, you know, our bread and butter, you know, graphic design, UX, UI, presentation specialists, proofreaders, copywriters. But that doesn't mean we don't play studio managers and, and, and film editors. Um, really, when it comes down to it, any position you can think of that would fit in an ad agency or marketing department, we place those types of people. On our website is a, a wonderful list. I think it's about 120, 125 job titles wow. uh, that, we, that we place. And, and you, it's interesting, and I'm part of the gig economy, and we read a lot about that, and I can't decide. I assume there's pluses and minuses, obviously, for going freelance. Um, and it's funny, you have something posted on your LinkedIn that sort of talks about that, and you have lived that life as well. Um, but as we start to head there as a creative field, when you guys look at your business and how you're going to improve this economy or help talent deal with being a gig economy, it, there's problems with insurance and just all the things that you don't get when you don't have a full-time job. And I assume there's a lot of what you guys are about that tries to help people or help people through those times, I yeah, guess. Yeah, bridge the gap. Yeah, it's an interesting time. Again, you, you, I can speak from experience. I mean, being, being a consultant and sort of throwing up your own shingle and doing your own thing. It's feast or famine, yeah. right? You could be feasting for months. Oh, my God, I got so much work. Yeah. Isn't this great? And then two months, you're like, oh, my God, I haven't worked for two months. Yeah. Um, and we've just, you know, went through our savings and, um, and all of that. But the, the, the thing about being a freelancer now, especially in the creative space, is it's that, it's that ownership, it's that independence of – and I'll speak about, you know, maybe people in L.A., and this mm-hmm. is not in any disrespect to anybody, but it's like, hey, I want to get up and do yoga. I don't want to go into an office. You know, I'm going to yeah. start working around noon today, and I'll work until 2 o'clock in the morning because I can. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of what we do uh, through the content that we've put together. So we, we launched a blog uh, called Our Notebook on CreativeCircle.com, mm-hmm. and, and when we first launched it, it was very much geared towards the candidate. And there's a lot of content up there which is, you know, the standard stuff that you would think, how to write a resume, how to put together your portfolio. But there's more content on there, literally, like how to be a freelancer, how to, how to understand this feast or famine market, how to sell yourself, how to put yourself out there. And also, you know, you're not alone. I think the numbers range, but they say by 2020, anywhere from 35 to 50% of the workforce is going to be freelance. Yep. And that's because people want variety. They want control. The great thing about Creative Circle is that Every single one of our candidates is a W-2 employee of Creative Circle. So you work for Creative Circle. Mm -hmm. We take care of payroll taxes. We take care of all of that. When you hit a certain amount of hours, don't quote me, but when you hit a certain amount of hours, um, and I don't know what the number is, but you start to earn, uh, you can start getting health benefits. You earn vacation time. You can partake in a 401k. So there's many of our candidates who get placed over and over again, rack up hours and hours, and then we have those benefits for them because, like you said, they don't get those benefits being a freelancer. Mm-hmm. Healthcare is extremely expensive. Mm-hmm. There's no sort of opportunity for a matching 401k and all that type of stuff, and we start to provide those benefits for uh, the candidates who work many hours. What do you think um, these 
crowdsourcing sites and um, other places where you can get logos online and where you where design has become more um, um, commoditized, globalized, globalized and commoditized. Um, <laughs> what impact do you think that has on your business? It's a good it's a great question. And I think it um, I don't know if it necessarily digs into our business. It's well, I was going to say something that's really interesting. You know, you've got the the Upworks, um, which was Olance and eDesk for many years, and they merged to turn into Upworks. And you've got the 99designs. You sort of have this digital cloud labor thing that's happening, and it's a and it's a wonderful thing. And um, it basically allows the clients and the candidates to talk to each other and perform these transactions. The question is, you know, are you as a client going to hire a creative director on one of these sites for a six month gig? Uh, and spend tens of thousands of dollars. I don't know if it's there yet, mm-hmm. um, and it may it may move to that. But the thing that we offer is we offer you know concierge service, so to speak. We're a white glove, high touch. Mm-hmm. There's still a need for interpersonal discussions, and as I said in the beginning, we're consultative. We're learning. We're helping to explore. I'm like, ah, that's what you need. Great. Let me go to recruiter. I'll get you four people in the next couple of hours to look at. Creative talent is so hard to manage that I think it needs that kind of concierge service, right? Mm-hmm. It fits are hard to have depending on the culture of the agency, <clears throat> depending on the culture of the person. So I'm assuming that all that gets thrown into the way that you guys do that. Some creatives need... That's uh, me. I was just going to say, some <laughs> no, wait, more, that was me. <laughs> more attention than others, I yeah. think. Right? More of that white glove service. Yeah. yeah, they do. Uh, service. They yeah. do. Uh, yeah. okay. So here's, here's my question. When you get here, you've obviously got this task of kind of uh, forming the messaging of Creative Circle against its competition. And I'm curious, just from where you come from, with you have this background with presentation skills and this background in digital marketing, this background as a teacher and a psychologist. And I wonder when you look at this brand, Creative Circle, and, and the marketplace, what what is your task, do you feel, uh, as the, the vice president of marketing to, to make this thing stand out or to you know make this thing grow? I think the very first thing I did when I got in here was we did persona development. I really needed to understand the three or four personas that we try to engage. Mm-hmm. And that's the two obvious ones, clients and candidates. The third one is um, uh, prospective employees, people who actually work here. Uh, and, and, you know, and so people we want to hire and then our actual employees, the people who work here. Right. And, it's, we spent a good deal of time figuring out who they are. We did, you know, we went out and did quantitative and qualitative research, uh, which we will do again uh, this year to learn a little bit more. We always have to stay in touch with the clients and the candidates and our personas. And it really was understanding what makes them tick because I didn't, it's funny, I ran an agency for 14 years. And uh, when I came here, I looked myself up in the database, and there I was. Um, they, you know, they had I, they had reached out to me. I had seen, I've gotten all the emails, but yeah. I never really hired um, from a staffing agency because I never got that oh shit moment. The oh shit moment, which is on Monday morning, you wake up in the morning and you go, "Holy crap! Oh my god! Yeah, we need like somebody to do some work this week. What do I do?" And so it was really learning that. What's what's that process? What do you go through? And we know, and what I learned is that we're maybe third, a staffing agency is probably third or fourth on the list when someone has that moment. The first thing they do is they open up their door and they yell out, can anybody do PowerPoint? Mm-hmm. You know, and they're like, no. 
does anybody know anybody who can do PowerPoint? No. And then you go to LinkedIn and you go to your email and you go to your own personal networks and you can't find anything. And then you go to a creative, you know, staffing agency and you said, I need a presentation. I need someone to do PowerPoint. They take them through and they say, oh, you need a presentation specialist. So really in the beginning, it was crafting that story. And how do we tell that story to candidates and clients to show that we understand and we have empathy for their position? And I think trying not to be so on the nose of a hard sell because we wanted to stay away from that word of staffing and temp. It was really more along the lines of what type of content, what type of path can, to purchase can we put together and funnel and all those wonderful marketing words. But really the bottom line is what, you know, who is this, um, who is this person? What makes them tick? What are their pain points? And then what can we offer them in terms of marketing messaging, um, et cetera, et cetera. It really was, I'm a huge fan of Simon Sinek and start with why. Mm -hmm. Um, No, I really, I can uh, really appreciate that because I think that, um, Knowing, like you said, we're not the first call. We're we're fourth on the list. Um, I think a lot of um, creative agencies or staffing firms or, or however, whatever category we're putting them in, um, I think that they try to be um, maybe more than what they are. And then when they deliver talent at a level that doesn't meet expectations, then, you know, they've lost credibility um, for that. And, um, and I'm saying this from the perspective of being former HR. So you said when you came on, you know, you were in the, in the database and you're not necessarily the persona. I was that persona. I was that HR person who was making that call, making those decisions. And, um, I can tell you, I was, I was disappointed at times. Sometimes I was delighted and surprised, um, mostly surprised. And then sometimes I was disappointed by the, by the, um, not necessarily the level of talent, because I think, um, people are at certain places in their careers and you have to be, um, you know, you have to give them credit for where they are. It was just the mismatch, what I needed versus what I got. Right. right. And it was more about volume and, and sometimes it was just a completely wrong fit. It would be, you know, akin to I'm getting, um, I'm getting an account person when I really ask for a creative director kind of thing. And sometimes it was that far off. Um, how do you, how, yeah. you know, you describe the partnership with clients. Tell us more about that. It's really, and, and as I said, it's, it's, it's kind of simple, right? It's just asking questions and making sure we understand. Mm-hmm. Again, clients will call and you might've been the, uh, a perfect example of it. Um, or other people will call and say, I think I need a front end developer. Okay. Why? You know, mm-hmm. what do you, what are you doing? What's the project? What's the goal? What do you need to get done? Cause you know, it could be easy to say, Oh, you need a front end developer. Okay, good. We'll send you 10 people in five minutes. Bye. And mm-hmm. click, click. But it's like, what's your project? What are you doing? Well, built this website and it's in WordPress and we're not happy with it. And the sliders aren't working and we're not happy with the images, whatever they say. And you say, oh, all right, let me understand what you need. And then at the end of the call, it's like, okay, you not only need a front-end developer, but you need somebody who understands the software that you're using. Because, you know, I could send you a bunch of Drupal people, but it's WordPress. Or, you know, I, mean, I, I know I'm, I'm, I don't mean to sound trite or make it sound so simple, but it really is spending time and understanding. Because when a, when a client feels that they're being heard and listened to, and, and we're sending them resumes and portfolios, and they're like, oh, that's what I expected to see. Mm-hmm. And then after three or four, they're like, okay, I want to talk to one, number one and number three. 
and then they hire them and they come on and they do the job that was expected, then that's a win for everybody. I think it's really, it's just taking the time to listen. And I think a lot of companies, not just staffing agencies, a lot of people, they hear really well. You can hear anything, but it really comes down to listening. Right. And are you listening for the certain keywords? Are you sniffing out the opportunities? Are you saying, eh, I don't think you actually wanted that. Let me tell you what I think you need, or let me tell you a case study, or you know, et cetera, et cetera. Again, it sounds simple, but it, it takes a certain type of person on the other end of the phone to be able to listen and hear and then repeat back, okay, I think this is what you need. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And did you, when you found, okay. you talked about Simon Sinek and that why for you, did you guys find something that fit and does that flow through to that person on the other end of the phone or have you started to implement that? Yeah. I mean, I think you'll see it in a lot of the content that we've put out of why we do what we do. I mean, mm-hmm. at the end of the day, we help people, you know, from a candidate perspective, our goal is to help people find their next career or their dream job. Yeah. It really is. I mean, it sounds that lofty, but it really does come down to that. Yeah. And for clients, it's, you know, we're here to, to serve a need and to serve you and to do and, and to, to help you and, and to educate you and help you figure out what it is you need. So a lot of what, you know, as, as he says, so many companies know what they do and how they do it, but they don't necessarily know why. And it's, and it's, it's fluid. It's changing all the time. You know, we were just bought by a big company. We're a public company now. So things have sh- things are shifting. It's not good. It's not bad. It, it's just a shift. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, and so we're, we're learning how to swim, you know, in our big boy pants now, cause you know, now we're a public company and we're part of a large, um, holding company and, and, you know, all of our sister companies are staffing agencies. Uh, uh and we're the only one that's creative. I don't so recommend very interesting. That's interesting. That is interesting because I wonder if they even know what to do with you. If you guys are like the uh, unruly stepchildren nah, they, in the family, or do they get it? They're, well, they're having fun with us. Yeah, we're the emotional side, right? Totally. So, like, like, oh. you know, if, we don't, if we don't get what we want, we throw a tantrum and we cry <laughs> in the corner. But, um, but no, it's it's really interesting because I, I I I work with some of these other brands, and at the end of the day, it's very similar, right? It's consultative, it's partnership, it's understanding. It's just you know we place designers. And, and designers and creatives have a whole different set of emotions and that's why we hire them. And that's why we, we, that's why we love them because they bring out emotion. They bring out collaboration. They bring out all these things, you know, it's very different than placing a, a backend database engineer. Um, what is yeah. the, um, is there a position that is just super hot right now that, that um, clients are asking for that yeah. either the, the market isn't delivering um, or, or is? The one that blew me away, and I've said it already a couple of times, one of our number one positions is presentation specialists. Mm. And Interesting. when I first came here, my first thing was, that exists? Mm-hmm. Like, who, like people need to hire people to build their PowerPoints, and then you start looking at what these people can do these creatives who are presentation specialists who have mastered basically keynote and PowerPoint, and it will blow you away. Yeah. So you've got all sorts of higher end, higher level executives who have to do keynotes, who have to do sales pitches, whatever it is. And, you know, they're starting to futz around. They're like, I can't do this. Yeah. And they get lost in animation and fonts and colors. Yeah. And again, they're not creative. They're yeah. so it's really hot across all of our markets. Okay. Um, I think I can, I'm almost there. Like I can see this as a fallback career. (laughs) 
<laughs> I speak PowerPoint, and they're probably not that well. <laughs> yeah, but, you know, again, it's really, you know, again, and so my other, and it's really funny, and it's yeah. kind of ironic because I've written a book on presentation skills, right. and I teach people presentation skills all the time, and my deck is, my decks are okay. I'm not a, I'm not a graphic designer at all, um, but I look at it, and it really makes sense. It makes sense. You've seen some, if you've been to conferences lately, and you see some of the keynotes and the slides that are going up there, you can tell that the person speaking did not create that deck. Yeah. Yeah. And the question is, who did, who did it? And chances are they don't have that skill set in-house. And it's really a sharp, uh, smart, as you said, fallback for you know, someone who studied you know, creative design. And if yeah. they don't have work doing a website mm-hmm. or print ad, they can put their skills towards that. Yeah. Well, yeah, it's, and it's also the art of telling a story. It's interesting. And I want, yeah. you know, it's, it is all about that. And I know that's, you are a big proponent of that. Um, so tell us the best way, if you're a freelancer out there, what's the best way that I can get the most out of my relationship with Creative Circle? Is there a good way to use you guys? Yeah, as a candidate, I mean, yeah. you know, I'm going to say candidate. the obvious things. I'm yeah. going to say the obvious things. Make sure you register with us. Yeah. Go to our site and register so we're aware of you. Uh, if you are, if you have registered with us in the past, the greatest thing you could do, and it's been like a couple years, give us a call, go back to the website, re-register. It will most likely recognize you, but you can upload new portfolio and stuff like that because you could have been a junior designer two or three years ago, and now you're a designer, or maybe in a, you know, you're on your way to being a creative director. We don't know that. Right. You need to tell us that. Right. So it's very important that you keep up with us and really apply to jobs. Just the jobs come in, and if they see if they if they look like good jobs, apply to them. We have thousands of jobs posted on our website. They're all there. You can you know it's easy to apply to them. Um, and then the other thing is, if you apply to a job and you're new to us and you haven't been interviewed, go to our blog and read all the articles we have on how to interview, how to build your portfolio. You know I think there's there's always talk of the portfolio sites like Behance and mm-hmm. Crop and Squarespace and all those, all those tools, which are wonderful, and you need to understand how to present yourself and how to present your portfolio. We've got great content on our blog that sort of takes you through that process, which is, you know, how do you create a creative resume? How do you create a portfolio if you're applying, if you're applying to a job for an automaker and you have no auto experience? Well, then what are you going to put in your portfolio? Like, is that the right thing? Or do you do some spec work to show? I, I'm, I'm going into the weeds here. But mm-hmm. really, your job as a creative, if you're looking for work and you want to be a candidate, is you have to rep- represent yourself really well to us so that then we, we, we can represent you extremely well to the client. There you go. Yeah, and it sounds like the resources are there. Yeah, and it's not just a, hey, I applied for a job. How come I didn't get it? It doesn't work that way. Remember, if you go to LinkedIn and you apply to a job, there's that little number that says 480 people have also applied to this job. Assume that's happening with us as well, right? Hundreds of people are applying. The more you're in contact with us, the more you have relationships with recruiters and calling and, 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 and doing that, the, the, the better it's going to be. It's not, we're, we are one resource for you. Okay. We know you have many. And then on the flip side, if I'm a if I'm one of your clients and I'm looking for talent, what's the best way to use a agency? Use Creative Circle. The, the clients is always an interesting one, right? And it's always funny because it, the difference between a candidate and client can be can be ten minutes. Meaning, we, oh, we just placed you as a 
as a creative director, okay, 10 minutes later, you're a client now. What do you need? Yeah. Um, so, um, <laughs> that is so but, true, isn't that's it? That's Yeah. <laughs> but from a client perspective, uh, you know, being as um, detailed as you can be, we've got our talent request form, which is on our website. We've got all sort of PPC ads and landing pages. And it's really being honest uh, from a point of view of what the timing is, what the rate is, where you're happy, where you're comfortable, and um, really having a great relationship with your account exec. Our account execs will hit you with emails and phone calls all the time. And we know that uh, you're not always in market, but we're always, we always want to be top of mind. So the more you are open to that relationship, knowing that for weeks you're going to say, okay, okay, I don't need anything, anything. And then you're going to wake up one morning and say, oh, shit, I need something. Then you're going to say, oh, okay, got it. Now I'm going to – now thanks for calling me today because I – you know. You guys are top of mind, and, and now I'm, I'm ready to, to, to move forward on something. Cool. Um, I have a question about you personally, Michael, um, and it's about your TED Talks. Um, sure. We, yeah, which we watched. They were all great. And I had my favorite. Jen had hers. So you go ahead, Jen. Totally. Um, okay. <laughs> I'll get back to you on that one. But the, um, but Michael, the, the um, TED is known for having, you know, a way of doing TED Talks, right? Um, can you tell us a little bit about that process and what, what that oh, yeah. was like for you? Yeah. So... The first one, it's really funny, um, and it's and it's kind of self-serving. I nominated myself um, <laughs> for a TED Talk because I always wanted to do one. I wanted to do one, and I'm like, well, how else am I going to do this? And I said, you know what? And it, it says not you can nominate yourself. So I nominated myself as a speaker. Yeah. Um, and I got and I for the for the first one that I did, and I got a call from the organizer, and he said, let's have coffee, and we had coffee, and I told him all that you know everything that you know about me. I told him all that. And he says, all right, there's definitely a spot for you. Um, and, and this is in LA. It, it was, yeah, it was okay. in LA. It was the, uh, TEDx Conejo one. Okay. Um, and it was a re- it really, and it's the one where I talk about being a rock star. Yeah. Which is, a great that's my story. favorite one. Yeah. I that's thought that favorite. was good. Thank that's you, my second you. favorite one. <laughs> but the, the, the thing that was really nerve wracking about that is when I got there, they're like, Hey, by the way, you're going to go on first today. I'm like, what? Um, so I was the first speaker of the day. Uh, and you know what? If you've been to a TED mm-hmm. um, event, those audiences are thirsty yeah. for inspiration and information. Like it's the most attentive audience you'll ever speak in front of because they've they've blocked off twelve hours of their day. Yeah, their expectations are and, yeah. They're drinking from a fire hose. Right. That day. Oh, they have <laughs> such high expectations. So really, what I got, you know, and they're like, you have three minutes, and so trying to wow. get all of that into it, and it really came down to you know, what's the story? What am I trying to get across? And then I also realized I'm on first. So it's really up to me to sort of energize the crowd and get them going and get them excited for the day. So all that sort of played into it. Um, and that was and the pitch process for your talk or that was the talk? That was the talk. Oh, okay. That was the talk. Yeah. Okay. The pitch process was really, it was very organic. Um, you know, I talked about music and I talked about all this stuff and he said, well, why don't you talk about, you know, being a rock star and, not being, and then basically I said, well, I never really was, but I guess I am. And now I'm on stage and I sort of played that whole thing up, but you know, it's, it's a, it's a nerve wracking, um, experience because look, if you're a, a speaker and you want to make a living as a speaker, having a video with that logo behind you mm-hmm. is, you know, it's everything you could hope for. Yeah. Um, you know, saying I did a Ted talk, you know, now am I on Ted.com? Nope. Um, <laughs> will my talks ever be on Ted.com? No, they never will be. Yeah. Um, Nominate you know, yourself for hundreds. that, though. Nominate yourself to be on I the could, side. Yeah. I could. 
But um, and I don't know if I'm answering your question exactly. The well, way you I was just curious it. about the more of the pitch process, which, like you said, was was organic. I I wonder how much coaching Ted the organization does. You know, besides giving you a, a time frame and saying stand on this red red rug with the logo behind yeah. you. Yeah. Well, I I was one time I was a host for uh, a Ted um, event. So a friend of mine, John Bates, who's a, who does wonderful um, coaching for um, speaking skills as well, he and I were the hosts in San Diego, and we were very, very involved with the whole event that day. We weren't ne- necessarily giving a talk, but we were on stage all day inter- introducing people and all of that. And what we did uh, maybe four to six weeks before the event, we did a boot camp. We did a TEDx speaker boot camp for people who want to be TED talkers mm-hmm. um, because giving a TED talk is very different than giving, you know, even giving a keynote at a, um, at a conference because of the audience, the audience has such high expectations and, and there's an expectation that you're actually going to tell something that's not necessarily about a product launch yeah. or something like that. You're telling a story from the heart or something like that. So we really work with, we did a lot, we did a lot of coaching. I didn't get any coaching. Uh, and then following years, I've coached other TED talkers, because there's a, there's a, a need for it. Mm-hmm. I'll, I'll give a perfect example and I won't give names and I won't say what happened, but, uh, there was a, a TED in, in LA, there's like hundreds of chapters, but the gentleman had an amazing story, worked in finance his whole life, you know, everything like that and decided to drop it and become a farmer. And he would farm heirloom tomatoes. That's what he did. And we're like, Oh my God, that's an awesome story. But when he got up to do his talk, he read from note cards the whole time. Oh, damn! And 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 it it was a it was it was not a disaster, but it did not make the impact that it could have made because nobody coached him. And it, you know, just because you can tell a good story sitting around a coffee table doesn't mean that you know how to get in front of an audience and, and deliver a compelling speech. Yeah, that's that is. So, one of the uh, interesting talks you gave, it was this theory that. People have to notice their moments of notes in life, these, these moments mm-hmm. that happen to them, and they can creatively put them on their path. And you had sort of talked about how negativity, constant negativity, and, and uh, what was going on at that time doesn't seem nearly as negative as what's going on in our society right now. And so I wonder if you just sort of tell us a little bit about that theory. <laughs> and if, this, if you cook this thing, read about it, I know you had studied psychology, um, but it's an, a really interesting place and an interesting talk that you gave. It was, it was, it was around the time when Charlie Sheen was imploding. Yeah. Um, if you remember that time. And I was like, what is happening? Look, we're all sitting on the edge of our seats waiting for the next thing uh, for him to dig a hole. And not to get too I, – I will not get political, but it seems to be happening again. Um, as we're waiting. I was going to say. It's, it's, next it's hard thing. not yeah. to be political these days on one side I know, or the right. I know. It's, a, it's, it's, it's quite a bizarre time, but yeah. we have this thing, the Germans call it schadenfreude or schadenfreude, and that we love to, um, to take joy in the, in the downfall and the misery of others. And I think there's, there's a way to sort of channel that um, in, in a creative way and, and sort of remember where you were when this happened um, you know, my whole example of when I heard eruption for the first time, I think that's the example. I that is the example. Eddie it. Van Halen, Eddie Van, 1980, yeah. 1980, yeah, it was 1980, okay. 80 or 81. And, and Jennifer, have you heard, hold on. Let me ask Jen if she's heard eruption. If she can 
audio this in your mind. Eddie Van Halen playing Eruption, this song, no? I, I like Van Halen, <laughs> but um, I was more of a journey gal. Okay, fair enough. Okay. Right. But anyway, it's, right, it Neil is. Sean, Neil Sean's a great guitar player, but you have to understand that what was happening at that moment, and there's many guitar players out there who will, who, who will use this as their example of when their life changed. Yeah. And it really was life-changing. It was he, what he did in 1977, 78, when he recorded that. Okay. If you think about what was happening in music at that time and where people were with the guitar, you can hear it now and be like, oh, that's great. But if you, 1977, it's mind-blowing. Yeah. So in 1980, when I was this little kid in sixth grade and these two guys were huddled over a record player before school playing it over and over again, and they looked at me and said, this is the future. I was like, <laughs> oh, my God. Like At that moment, I said, holy cow. Like, yeah. I now know what I need to do. And I, I mean, I am nowhere near the talent of that man, but it, it was a moment of, of mine where I said, this is life changing. This is, this is now, a, it's part of my fabric. Um, and people laugh all the time because I walk by my office. I'm literally playing old Van Halen like all the time. <laughs> um, because, because it's, a, it, it's in my DNA. It, yeah. it helped shape who I am. And I think, we can take the good moments like that, and we can take the bad moments. I mean, you know, we can learn from what Charlie Sheen did and how not to do it. We can learn what, you know, what's happening in, you know, the public eye right now. And, 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 but so much amazing things are coming out of this. There's so much creativity. There's so many things because yeah. I can go on and no, on. No, no, but this, I think but. it's interesting just as a, as a person who has to create and how you have to take these small little miracles or whatever they're called, these things that turn you on, give you goosebumps, just connect with you and run with yeah. those. And and the negativity in society can totally stop that. And your brain will tell you, oh, you can't do it immediately. Mm -hmm. There'll be something right. in your brain that says, "You don't try this, don't pursue your dream. That's a stupid idea. And I think creatives go through this every day. Uh, when you're creating an idea yeah. and you've got to, you know, almost immediately your brain will say, that's a stupid idea. And you start to self-censor it. And yet if, if there's something there, if it turned you on for a moment as a, as a kid, we'd run with it. But as an adult, we start to censor ourselves. Oh, and yeah. I think cynicism just, and, and in cynical times, it's even <clears throat> harder because there's just so much negative right. energy out there. Right. Um, that, I, yes. I think the other thing too, to think about, or, or that to acknowledge in what you both just said is that. Um, it's not always, I mean, for you, it was hearing a piece of music and, mm -hmm. and really connecting with it. And I think, um, as, uh, you hear about the quarter life crisis, right? Like people who are 25 who are like, oh my God, what am I doing with my life? Um, right. and I've had two of those, practically two of those now, but, um, but I think, um, people are waiting for some sign, right? That like, oh, I'm on the right path or I need to do this, or what is the meaning of life? And you're waiting for these big things to happen. But what I've heard, what I just heard you guys describe is something more like these smaller moments and these yeah. inspirations that can come from a piece of music or something in the news or whatever that, that help shape that path. And that's, that's, I think important in your business, Michael, when you're talking to all these young creatives and they're trying to find their way and they're trying to, they're trying to figure it out. Well, there isn't really any figuring it out, right? Like it's a, it's a series of events and maybe sometimes a series yes. of unfortunate events, but, but things that happen, little milestones that happen along the way that, that then start to create that picture for you. Yes. And I think the, the thing that's really powerful about being a freelance creative is that you have the opportunity to try a million things. Mm -hmm. And just because you get placed at company A for four weeks doing presentation specialist work, and it's like, I don't want to do that. That's not what I want to be, but you're 25 and you're, look at you, you're sitting in a huge company. 
you know, maybe, and you're working with the CMO or the CEO on their presentation, yeah, it might be about auto parts or it might be about, you know, computer parts, and it's not exactly where you want to be, but you do it for four weeks, mm-hmm. and it's not forever. And then you're going to move on to the next one. And if you did a great job, then the staffing agency is going to say, wow, place him again or place her again. And you have so much opportunity to continue to try and learn. You know, you said something earlier, and it sort of put something in my head. And it's it's a funny thing when you think about creatives and and creative work and music and art and all of that. And Pete Townsend is a massive hero of mine. And and he said many, 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 many years ago that the audience is thick and doesn't appreciate quality no matter how hard you try. (laughs) Oops. And and when you think think about that, but if you think about that as creatives – we pixel push, we move things around, we, we censor ourselves, we, we, we don't think it's great, and then you can put it out and say, ugh, this is terrible, and everybody loves it. To this day, Eddie Van Halen will tell you where the mistakes he makes interruption. Mm-hmm. Wow. He can tell you there's a mistake here and there's a mistake here. You, we, don't, we can't hear it. Yeah. He can hear it, and maybe he cringes every time he hears it, you know, if he ever listens to it. But the bottom line is, is the audience, we're unaware of the imperfections. We're unaware of the mistakes. And I think from a creative standpoint, you, you can't be so hard on ourselves because the audience doesn't necessarily know yeah. that it's not perfect. They're just moved by what you put out there or have some sort of reaction to it. And I think as a creative, we have to remember that. And I think you said, like, we censor ourselves and we, totally. we second guess ourselves and it's not, it, it doesn't do a service. No. Yeah. I think that makes a great creative though, right? Like if you, if you settled, right, for earlier iterations of something. So I, I get it. It's both sides of the coin, right? Like you're, you're super, super hard on yourself and, and you have to give yourself a break, but then also that's what drives you to be better and better. And that's what makes a great creative versus mm-hmm. just somebody who's just going to yes. settle. Well, I also think you have to listen to the part where if you have come up with something that you feel emotionally connected to, there's that moment where you're like, oh, this might be good. You really got to run with that and protect that feeling because the next feeling you're yeah. going to self-sense yourself and then you got to get past everyone else, mm-hmm. the thick audience, if you will. Mm-hmm. But there was that yeah. moment where you really knew that you had something. And I think guys like, you know, that creates this awesome work have to get that awesome work from that moment where they know they've got it through all the filters of negativity right. to get it out to the world. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Great point. Okay. Michael, do you, do you still want to be a rock star or have you given up on that? Yeah. <laughs> uh, I gave up on it. Um, uh, I haven't played in a band for at least maybe five or 10 years. I've got kids. Although my one drummer, one son is a drummer. The other one's a trumpet player. So we jam all oh, the time. Nice. Um, and I make sure that I pick up a guitar or a bass every day. I play every day, but yeah, the, the dream I'm, I'll be 48 in a couple of weeks. So you never say never, never but, say yeah, never. I, I'm not pursuing. I'm not pursuing it. It's never too late. It's never too <laughs> well, that's right. Late. So one of the things you, you had uh, written on LinkedIn was a, a nice article about seeing Cheap Trick at the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame and how rock and roll and content go together and how you need to come out and put on a big show today. So I hope we've done that. I feel like we've had a kind of a rock and roll <laughs> content show for you. Yeah. I mean, I think really at where I come from and, and if you look at, even though it looks like a really varied background of life uh, with different jobs, it's all been centered around storytelling. Mm-hmm. Everything that I do is about storytelling, whether it was being on stage and playing in bands, whether it's telling a TED Talk, whether it's teaching uh, kids in high school. I taught um, these classes at a, at a private school called Mysteries, and it was all about how do you tell your story. And 
and then working with brands. Um, and it's, and it's all about storytelling. So it's, it's really because we're wired for story. Our brains want story. We crave story. You know, we, we grew up having our parents tell us stories at night. I made the mistake of creating a story one night for my three-year-old who's now 11 and for five years, he said, tell that story again. <laughs> um, they love repetition, and, right? Uh, they do. Well, then I had to create a whole world. It was insane, but it really comes down to being a parent, being a VP of marketing, being a talker, a teacher, all these types of things. Storytelling is key. And I know it's a huge buzzword today. And I know people are, are, are focusing on it, but it's true. If you can, as a brand or whether you're your own personal brand or a corporate brand or whatever it is, if you can tell a story about that, it does so many things. It engages it, 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 it perks up the ears, but it also differentiates you and, and makes you real and authentic. And to me, everything that I've done has always been about that. And that's what I hope to get across today. And that's what I hope to get across um, with this company to help differentiate ourselves, not just from other staffing agencies, but from all other companies and why, why we're important and why, um, why we're different. Well said. No doubt. Um, Michael, one last question. What is your, what's your next story? Is it going to be a Ted talk? Is it going to be a book? Is it going to be a blog post? What, and can you, can you give us a sneak preview of what that's going to be all about? (laughs) I have been, so I, for so when I taught high school, the one thing that I did, I used to take these kids on a retreat, seniors on a retreat, and we would do a sweat lodge. Wow. And, um, and it was a very intense five days of vegetarian food, living off the grid and all that type of stuff. And, and it would end in this sweat lodge and it would be a very powerful, it, talk about storytelling. I mean, the stuff that you would hear in there. Yeah. So I've been an actual sweat lodge years, like where I, you build a fire in a place and get everyone. Is it a smoking experience or how to like, what I is a sweat lodge? I think it's sweaty. Right? Is it? It's uh, what you do is, so it's, it's native American based. I've always wondered. I've uh, always wondered. It, it's so basically what happens is there's a hut and it's sort of, it looks like a turtle, you know, cause it's covered in, uh, it's made out of branches and there's a hole in the middle and then there it's, it's sealed with blankets, nothing plastic, whatever that guy did in Arizona. Um, don't think of that. Yeah. He gave it's, sweat it's, so it's a breathable. It, yeah. It's totally breathable. Uh, and then what you do is you have a fire outside of it and it cooks lava rocks, you know, fire for, you know, eight, 10 hours or however long it is. And, you know, we typically would do like 48 rocks and you do four rounds and you bring seven rocks in or whatever it is each time uh, or more. Actually, you do 12 rocks each time. So you put the rocks in this hole and you pour water on it, just like a sauna. Okay. And it makes steam. That's awesome. But, um, but because you're in this hut on the dirt and it's pitch dark and you have no idea what's going to happen, your internal heat is already rising out of fear and nervousness and excitement. So it's a very intense, it's not like, people are like, oh, I can do it. It's like a steam bath, right? It's like, no, it's, it's more spiritual and tangible. But anyway, I've been threatening to sort of write either a book or something that has to do with it because it's, it's, it's made such an impact in my life. Wow. And, um, uh, it's pretty intense. And is it a, is it a place where you uh, learn something about yourself or transform something? Or are you in there seeking something? It could be any of those things. I've done a bunch of them. So each time it's different and, you know, not to be sort of vague and nebulous, but it's like you get out of it what you want to, what, what you put into it. So if you want to go in there and work on yourself, like, you know, it, it's really detoxifying. Like you're sweating from places that you didn't think you could sweat from. Um, <laughs> but you're, you, it can be emotional. It can be happy. It can be sad. And you kind of come out 
you know, refreshed and like, you know, ready to, 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 to make change. So, and you're hearing stories from other people. So there's a lot of influence and uh, a lot of really interesting, inspiring things that come out of it. Awesome. Well, I can't wait to read you about it. You should do it. it. Yeah. Well, yeah. that's, yeah. Well, you we, should do it. We do will what? do it. You write the book or the TED talk. Okay. Perfect. Okay. <laughs> awesome. Good. All right, Michael. Well, thank you very much for coming on today. I really appreciate it. Jen and I are thrilled and thanks for the support creative circle that uh, we've, we've loved having you as a sponsor so far. So hopefully this will all continue. Yes. We're happy to be a part of it and thank you for the opportunity. All right. Thank you, Michael. Take care. All right. Take care. Bye. 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 If you're looking for more insight into working with the creative industry, make sure to check out Creative Circle and Our Notebook. That's O-U-R at ournotebook.creativecircle.com, where you'll find original content and tips for your resume, portfolio, and upcoming interviews. Learn more and live created at ournotebook.creativecircle.com. Yeah.